And I've worked with so many clients who never qualified for autism, for ADHD, for anxiety, for any other disorder or diagnosis, but they still had significant, and I mean significant, sensory processing dysfunction and needed a lot of support to be successful in school and at home and in the community. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory-sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hi everyone. Okay, today I want to talk about sensory processing disorder. What it is, what it isn't, and what your next steps should be if you suspect your child has sensory processing disorder. So to start out, let's talk about what sensory processing actually is. Sensory processing is something that every single person does at all times of the day. It's something that is subconscious, it's automatic, your brains do it for you, we don't really have to think about it. In our environments, we're being exposed to different sensory inputs or sensory stimuli, sensory information, it's all the same thing, but it's the sights, the smells, the sounds, the feelings, and all of this sensory information gets sent into the brain and then the brain decides what to do with this information and how our body should respond if we need to respond. And that's a big if, because there's a ton of subtle sensory information we take in at all times of the day that we don't actually need to do anything with or need to respond to. In fact, being able to just ignore and automatically filter out certain sensory stimuli is actually an adaptive sensory processing response. So for example, right now, I'm surrounded by some bright lights. I have the feeling of the fan on my legs. I'm feeling the heat from my coffee cup in my hands. I don't actually hear much except the fan, but for this moment, while I'm telling you what exactly is around me, I bring those senses and sensory information to the forefront of my brain as I explain them to you and I point them out. But when I go deeper in my conversation with you as I record this podcast, my brain starts to go on autopilot for those sensory inputs and filters them out for me. So I don't have to constantly bring my attention to the sound of the fan or the feeling of the heat because noticing those sensations are not necessary for my survival and functioning. I can kind of know that they're just there and leave them alone. Let's take another example. Let's say that I'm here focused and my brain is tuning out all of that quote irrelevant sensory input, the lights, the sound of the fan, but then I start to smell something burning. Immediately my this is not important filter for sensory input gets turned off and my brain focuses. What is that smell? Where is it coming from? My heart might start to race and maybe I lose track of my words here on the podcast and I'd have to stop what I'm doing to go find out. Taking in that smell, identifying it as a potential threat, and then doing something about it is all within sensory processing. What about something as subtle as walking outside or going for a hike? 
every step I take, every rock or crevice that I walk over, my brain is taking in the sights of my surroundings, watching out for things to step over, and my vestibular system and proprioceptive system are taking in information about my body's position in the environment. Every little subtle misstep I might make, my body knows to adjust my posture so I'm upright and I can avoid falling or losing my balance. That is sensory processing. So what other daily tasks take efficient sensory processing skills? Literally everything you can think of. Taking a shower, tying shoes, taking a bite of a bagel, picking up a hot coffee cup, riding a bike, reading, writing, doing the dishes, playing hide and seek. Literally anything you can think of in your day that you need to make a movement towards to actually do, um, to focus on something, it all takes some orchestrated events of sensory processing in your brain. Super fascinating, right? So let's talk a little bit about what sensory processing challenges might look like then. First of all, the purpose of sensory processing, like I mentioned, is literally to keep us alive and functioning. It senses danger if there's danger. And if there's not danger, we can focus on other things. So if you have a child who has sensory processing challenges or a sensory processing disorder, these signals in their brains that tell them what the sensory input is and what to do with it can kind of get all mixed up and they might take a different route. So the child's outward response might look different. We will definitely talk about all the different profiles of sensory processing disorder that you can have in future episodes, but I do want to leave you with the with probably one of the most asked questions I get in my Instagram DMs, especially lately, and that is let's talk about it. Is sensory processing disorder a diagnosis? People want to know, what's the deal with the whole SPD diagnosis thing? Is it real? How do I get my kid diagnosed properly so I can get them treated? Who can diagnose this? All of these same questions about diagnosis comes up often and I understand it, but the answer is kind of confusing and complicated. So first of all, I'm going to start here. Sensory processing disorder is not a standalone diagnosis in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And this is the official manual that mental health specialists and behavioral health specialists use to diagnose mental illness and cognitive disabilities. So I'm going to say that again, SPD, Sensory Processing Disorder, does not have its own diagnosis in the DSM. So you're not going like there's a there's a code for autism, there's a code for ADHD, there's a code for anxiety, a specific diagnosis section in the book. There is not one for sensory processing disorder. Currently, SPD is only discussed within the context of other bigger what we call umbrella disorders such as autism, ADHD, or anxiety. Parents always get really confused at this point because you're always hearing people say things like, my child has SPD. Even I say that. Um, Even if that child doesn't have another diagnosis or of like autism or ADHD. And this is because even though SPD doesn't have an official diagnosis code and it doesn't have its own recognition in the manual that insurance refers to for reimbursement and covering your treatment 
there is still widespread, although not widespread enough if you ask me, but there's still widespread knowledge and research that shows SPD's actual existence and its impact on children. So there's no question to the idea that SPD exists and there is this disorder with a collective set of behaviors and things that impact children. We definitely see it and there's research to support it. It's just currently, it's not in this book, which is what medical professionals use and insurance uses for specific codes. I've specifically worked with many clients, many, many, many clients who didn't check all the boxes of any other diagnosis or disorder, right? Because that's essentially what it is. It's checking off boxes when you're diagnosing a disorder. The doctor will see if you can do a certain few things. They'll ask parents if you've done a certain milestone or not, and they'll check certain things off based on your report or what they see in the child. And I've worked with so many clients who never qualified for autism, for ADHD, for anxiety, for any other disorder or diagnosis, but they still had significant, and I mean significant, sensory processing dysfunction and needed a lot of support to be successful in school and at home and in the community. So then when you ask the question, so who can I get an SPD diagnosis from? It's really hard to answer because the answer technically is no one. No one can give you an official sensory processing disorder code one, two, three, that's billable for insurance, right? Because for insurance, you get a diagnosis and there's this code. Sometimes it has a letter in it and then it has some numbers. There is not one for sensory processing disorder. You can find professionals who will diagnose anxiety, ADHD, autism, uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And within those diagnoses, SPD is kind of like a symptom of. So you so if it's like attached to one of those, then you will get more quote closure or specific reference to sensory processing disorder on paper if that's what you're looking for. You also can find professionals like OTs who can assess your child's sensory processing abilities and determine whether or not they would benefit from support or intervention. But I'm also going to insert here, please be aware that there that no OT on this planet can actually diagnose. It's not within our scope of practice to diagnose. So if your OT says your child has SPD, it's more like your OT has maybe determined that your child has significant sensory processing differences or delays and that they need intervention. They're not giving you a diagnosis. So again, I know it sounds confusing, but the important thing for you to know and differentiate between is that SPD is a real thing that exists. There's definitely no question about it. There is research, there's science behind it. I will share in a future episode. There are people, there are children who exhibit significant sensory processing challenges that impede their ability to function in daily life who don't happen to also have ADHD or another diagnosis like autism, anxiety, etc. The problem is really with the healthcare system and the recognition of this disorder as a standalone disorder, and that's what creates a huge barrier for parents when they're trying to get their child support. Because it's not a standalone diagnosis yet, but there's hope. I hope that when they come out with the new revision of the DSM, that maybe it will be put in there. Who knows? Let's keep advocating for that. Okay, so I want to keep these episodes short, but I do want to leave you with this last bit of information. So again, don't get hung up on getting a formal 
SPD diagnosis. For one, like I mentioned, it doesn't exist. So you're going to be on this wild goose chase. But if you suspect your child has sensory processing challenges, there are some ways for you to seek support. So my first step, my first line of defense, my first response would be to go directly to an OT. So search for a private clinic that specializes in sensory integration and call and see if you can talk to an OT. Maybe they offer free screenings or if you could even just talk to them over the phone about your main concerns and see if they can help you with setting up your evaluation, if they think your child needs evaluation, and then they could probably tell you what you might need from your insurance or your doctor before you set up the eval. So they can give you a very specific path based on that clinic and what they might need and what your options are. Another option is if your child is under three and you live in the U.S., um, this is I'm speaking specifically about the U.S. because this is what I know most. If you're in another country, they might have a similar program. It just might have different parameters and it might be called something different. But if you're under three and you live in the U.S., you can go through the local your local regional center, which provides early intervention services. So you can literally just go into Google, type in regional center and then the name of your county and you can get your child assessed for free. But you should be very explicit up front that you want sensory processing skills assessed and looked at because not all of these early interventionist specialists up front will evaluate for sensory processing. I learned this the hard way and I've heard from many parents as well who went through the process. The other option is if you're not sure exactly what's going on, like you're not sure it's just sensory needs, you're not sure if it is sensory needs, but you do have concerns about your child's behavior, then you can search for a developmental pediatrician. I don't know if you need a referral from your um, typical, your general practice pediatrician, or if you can self-refer, but look for a developmental pediatrician, call their office and see what you need to get a service with them. Developmental pediatricians give you a more comprehensive look at your child's behavior and they can kind of help you narrow down what might be going on and then they will send you another referral to the respective professionals that they see. Um, Last but certainly not least, it's definitely a good idea to loop your pediatrician in on things and ask for their opinion. But again, not all pediatricians are completely on board with hearing out just these plain quote sensory concerns. Um, that aren't tied to autism or other developmental diagnoses. I hear from so many parents, including myself, who get brushed off because our child doesn't appear to have anything, quote, wrong with them except the sensory challenges. So it can be really hard to advocate for your child. So just be prepared, provide lots of objective facts like how long tantrums are lasting, how often they do a certain behavior, Um, Give them lots of information and even pictures and videos of your concerns if you can to advocate for what you need. I put this last because recently I've been hearing so many people, again, get the turnaround from the pediatrician. And so if there are these other routes you can try first, I would definitely go that route. It's a more direct line to getting OT services, but definitely don't keep it a secret from your pediatrician. Loop them in, but just know that that's not the only route to get OT support. All right, so that's it for this episode. This one was super long. Lots of great information here. If it was helpful for you, I'd appreciate it if you let me know by leaving me a review. I just started this podcast, so all the reviews and comments help um, send it out to the universe so other people can find this podcast as well. So thank you so much for being here. 
I will be back next week with more SPD tips and info, and I will talk to you later. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.